Live from the Tech Talk Studios hey. in the nation's capital and the heartland of America. It's Tech Talk. What's up, everybody? You're about to see and hear from a legend in the chiropractic profession. He is an icon, Dr. Lou Sportelli. He is going to share some amazing stories and insights as to how chiropractic has evolved from a highly discriminated against profession to where it is today, to where it's going in the future. You do not want to miss this episode, so stay tuned, it's coming right now. Well, it's Friday. It's your favorite time of the week. It's time for Tech Talk. I'm Brad Cost, my co-host today. I call him the data doc of talk, Dr. Jay Greenstein. He is everyone's favorite. He's with me today, my co-host, Jay Buddy. Washington, D.C., you look like you're your home and you're, you're having a good day. I am having a good day. I'm having a very good day. It's beautiful out. Nice fall day here in D.C. in the nation's capital. And I've been looking forward to this all week, Brad, because we have the man, the legend, Dr. Lou Sportelli with us today. I don't I don't know how you and I wrangled that, but I am looking forward uh, due to a technical flub up. Lou and I got to talk a couple of weeks ago together and I had I'm sure I've met him before, but it was the first time I really one on one got to talk to him. I'm pretty excited because you you look back into history and and you ask who are those historical individuals that have changed the chiropractic profession that have really the institution beginning of the chiropractic profession the name Dr. Lou Sportelli is going to come up and yep. uh, he's mentored a lot of people that we've talked to Jay a lot of our friends along the way so why don't you take a minute why don't you do a formal introduction of our guest today Dr. Lou Sportelli well, thanks, Brad. And I think this 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 man before us, um, as you said, is a legend. I don't know that he needs a formal introduction because everybody in chiropractic knows who Dr. Lou Sportelli is. So, Lou, thank you so much for joining us today. It is it is a pleasure to have you here. Um, you know, I have so many memories of watching you, listening to you, being mentored by you, riding on a plane with you back from Portugal and WFC back in the day, just listening to you in awe. Um, so thank you so much for being here, Lou. It's, it's great to oh, have you. Well, you're welcome. My pleasure, Jay. So, Lou, I, I, I was really thinking about all the questions that I wanted to ask you, and, and, and I really want to start with, like, I don't even know how you actually got started in chiropractic like how did you discover chiropractic or maybe more appropriately how did how did chiropractic discover you well it was uh, i uh was born in easton pennsylvania and in easton we had a a very prominent chiropractor who had a beautiful office on the corner of ninth uh, and northampton street in easton pennsylvania and our high school was at 12th and northampton street so when i we would walk to school back then. Of course, we walked uphill both ways. I want you to know. <laughs> so anyway, anyway my, my, my friend and I uh, w would pass the chiropractic office, and my friend happened to date the chiropractor's niece. So on Saturday morning, this guy was an old Palmer grad, and of course, if you were breathing, you needed to be a chiropractor. So we would stop in his office, and he would basically say to us, you know, what are you guys going to do when you graduate from school, and yet you need to be a chiropractor, and yada, yada, yada. So both of us agreed that we were going to 
go to chiropractic college because this guy, first of all, he had a beautiful office and he had a large practice and personable. And so as it turned out, my friend um, and his uh, niece broke up. He never went to chiropractic college, but I did. <laughs> so, so in 1959, um, we you could go to chiropractic college right from high school. Wow. Back then. And uh, you took your... Uh, Six semester hours of biology, chemistry, and physics while you were going to while you were going to Palmer. So I left and and went out to Palmer in in 1959. Wow! And so I were you getting adjusted? Through, were you getting adjusted I by had, this chiropractor? I had I had never no had no idea of what I was getting into. Believe me, <laughs> I I wanted actually. I, but my if I had to choose a profession, it would have been criminal law. Hmm. Uh, that was what my I had a passion for criminal law only because. Uh, I don't want to say, you know, that the lawyers were, I mean, in, in our in our town, the, the lawyers were prominent. And so yeah. I, I had always had an interest in law. And so uh, when I went out to Palmer uh, back in 59, it was kind of, we, we came from a rather poor family. And, and we never, my parents never kind of took us to physicians or anything else. And so I was, um, I was of Italian descent. And so... I had a, uh, a genetic blood condition called thalassemia, which I, if you look it up, you see there's not a mature blood cell, red blood cell in my system. Hmm. So that's what I use as my excuse for not acting mature. So, <laughs> so when I went out to Palmer, it was really funny because um, they sent you at that time to, we had one medical physician on staff at Palmer, and we had our physical examination, and he sent me for some blood work. Well, a couple of days after he sent me for the blood work, a frantic call came in. He called me. He wanted to see me in his office right away. Because if you looked at my, my blood uh, samples, it would seem like I was had lead poisoning and a number of other things that were just not good. So he calls me in, and he says, I want you to go to see a an oncologist wow well so i'm thinking well so i went to the oncologist slash hematologist and he basically said i'm I, i'm looking at this a little closer and i think you have thalassemia and he said um that's what makes you if you get fatigued and i mean my my uh, my uh, uh, iron is is like seven i hmm. i should have no energy at all i mean so Oddly enough, I never we never went to physicians, and so when I went out started to go to Palmer, they forced you, of course, to go into clinic. And uh, it's kind of amazing, uh, Jay. It was one of those kind of crazy things where I, I went to chiropractic at Palmer College, and I got my, my clinician started to adjust me, and I started to feel different. Wow. Just different. I, don't ex I can't explain it. All I knew is that all my life, up until the time I was 18, I never been to a physician, never had a diagnosis, felt fatigued, and no, I had bouts from time to time. But when I went to Palmer and started getting adjusted on a regular basis, my world changed. It's incredible. And, and so uh, that's kind of my introduction to chiropractic was that particular situation. And so that's, uh, that's what happened. So did they run blood tests, and did, they, did oh your blood God. chemistry I, change at all? I still have those tests that were done in 1959. I still have the, I still have the reports, 
And of course, once it was diagnosed and we realized it was a genetic condition, you know, there's really not much that can be done. And 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 so it's 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 one of those conditions that I I, I live with today and and uh, will probably have with me until the day I die. It's just crazy. So even though your blood chemistry doesn't change, you still feel so much better just by getting adjusted, which is just a great chiropractic story. Um, That's I'm really, the point. Yeah, <laughs> that is the point. That's actually the point. Right? The yes. point is that I would never go out and say chiropractic cures thalassemia, <laughs> right. but I can tell you that there is something that happened. And, and, and because of that personal experience that I had of, that literally transformed the way I felt the commitment to the chiropractic profession and philosophy became ingrained in you. You just had this knowing that whether you knew what you were doing or not, there was something happening here that nobody else could explain. The oncologist couldn't explain it. Nobody could explain it, but I felt it. So there's the story. And, and, it sounds like it really shaped your philosophy as a as a healthcare provider. So when you were taking care of patients, you know, tell us a little bit about how you explain chiropractic to your patients when they came to see you, and and the types of conditions that you treated. Well, um, it was kind of interesting when I when I got out of school um, in in '62, uh, and we'll we'll talk about hopefully the the this whole situation that happened to our profession in 1963 when the AMA uh, had their committee on quackery but here I so here I graduated in 62 started my practice in 63 now realize that when you left Palmer College Jay you could grow hair on a bowling ball I mean that's the philosophy that you left with there was nothing that you couldn't take care of and and, I mean so you left with that kind of really 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 deep philosophical understanding now obviously when the reality of the world slapped you up against the side of the head and you realized that something else was missing here that that put me on a quest of education and so I I continued that whole educational situation for 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 decades and so we realized you take the blend of education and you take the blend of a, of a deep philosophy that gives you the kind of a practitioner that exudes confidence. And so when my patients came into me, uh, there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. Now, let me just give you a, 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 you talk about occasionally every once in a while you get divine intervention. When I first opened up a practice, um, there was a... Uh, in, in 1963, uh, I, I had about a 700 square foot office, and the lady who rented the apartment behind me uh, had a had a child. Uh, the child had cerebral palsy, and so I just came up to the, there and and basically um, started practicing. And she saw me one morning uh, as I was just opening up. And, and, and she basically said, are you the chiropractor? Uh, yes, I am. Well, and she said, and she said, I have, a, I have a daughter. And what was happening was the daughter was now five weeks old, six weeks old. And the daughter had projectile vomiting. Mm-hmm. And the daughter w- was on um, uh, phenobarb. And so the mother said, I said, 
can you do anything? I said, I, I don't know. I have no idea. But bring the bring the child in. As far as I was concerned, I, I was there was there was never any charge for children. As far as I was concerned in my practice, and and so they brought the child in, and within a few weeks, the child started stopped projectile vomiting. And the mother took the child back to the a pediatrician and of course the pediatrician said that she outgrew it <laughs> and the mother the mother knew best so right. i i make a joke from time to time that if if her lady her name was geraldine stubitz lovely lady and i say if 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 geraldine stubitz lived in 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 louisiana the mouth of the mississippi would take on a whole new meaning <laughs> <laughs> And, and and I want you to think about some of these things that happened to you, Jay, that, that are, are build your practice from unbelievable. So back then, of course, um, the you know, realize we didn't have we didn't even have answering devices back then. So she said to me, you know, I will be happy when you leave here at night if you have an extension phone call phone put in my my uh, my apartment i'll be happy to answer your phone i wow. pity the poor people that would call her after i left because they could never get off the phone with her and of course she would tell everybody that pretty much that i walked on water <laughs> and it was it, so my the, the the kind of things that happened early on to give people in my little community that kind of confidence that was one of those things that just happened it's a, then beautiful a lot of story. other things happened a lot of other things happened to counterbalance that, Jay. We didn't know as practitioners what was happening. So realize now, I, I'm, we have a little, we have a little uh, 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 hospital in our town. I, I couldn't send a patient up to the hospital. They wouldn't do blood work. They wouldn't do urinalysis. They wouldn't do x-rays. They wouldn't do anything. Of course, the joke up there was, what does a chiropractor want with the urinalysis? Uh, he probably doesn't even know what it tastes like. <laughs> so so they would not take my patients they would not take a referral mm. i didn't i mean so we're looking at this thing what's happening here why are why is there so much animus and so much hostility to a chiropractor who wants to send a patient and it was never a referral it was always a transfer because if the patient ever got there you never got him back anyway mm -hmm. and and so it was so if you're in this situation, you don't know you don't know what's happening. You just don't know what is happening to your world. You, you, you come out as a chiropractor, full of full of enthusiasm, and then you wind up with all of these roadblocks and all of these walls being erected, and you don't ha have a clue as to what's happening. I mean, put yourself into that position. The, many of the chiropractors today couldn't even imagine starting a practice in the 60s with all of the things that were going on against us in the back rooms that we never knew, very clandestine. Yeah. And so that's how the practice continued. In, in 1963, in your small community, was chiropractic looked down upon by the vast majority of the people, or, or was it a small, a small segment that it respected? How, how, what was the, what, how did they view you? Well, they viewed me kind of weird because it, the town I, I, I practiced in is an almost an all-Pennsylvania Dutch town. Oh. So now, think about this, Brad. I'm, I'm young. 
I'm single, I'm Italian, and I'm a chiropractor. How much more <laughs> could you have against you? <laughs> the, the little town of 5,000 people. Uh, but but soon I was embraced. I mean, the, the, the people that that came in had problems that had not been corrected uh, before. And I, I will tell you that, obviously, uh, at the time, I had very little money. And I, so I get this telephone call about three or four months into my practice. And a phone, voice on the other end says, are you the chiropractor that has the x-ray? And I said, yes. She says, I'm coming in. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> says, I'm coming in. Now, she was an old army nurse, hmm. worked at our local hospital. Everybody knew her. Her brother owned a rather large market. Her name was Evelyn Mertz. Nobody ever called her anything but Mrs. Mertz. She was an old RN from the old school, didn't have any children, but was unbelievable. So when you, I took an x-ray of her spine, it looked like several German shepherds were gnawing at her spine. Mm. And so she was in pain. Uh, knock on wood, I don't know what happened, but I can tell you that after a short period of time of chiropractic care, she felt better than she had felt in years. So she says to me, she called me the kid. Now, she was about 50 years old when, when she came in, and I was obviously in my early 20s. She says, listen, kid, you need some help here. I said, uh, Mrs. Mertz, I said, I know I'm going to get, I'm going to need some help. She sa I said, but, you know, when my practice starts to get a little, little better, I, I'll, I'm coming in Monday morning, and you, you pay me <laughs> one of these days when you can. I mean, wow. and I'm going to tell you something. She was with me for 25 years until she passed away. Oh, my God. And, and, uh, uh, and that's all my staff stayed with me forever. And, and so she was, but she was unbelievable. She spoke Pennsylvania Dutch. She was a trained RN. She knew everybody. My practice was, was on the trajectory of outer space, you know, by the, by the time I started. So after, it wasn't very long, and I, I hate to say this because it sounds bizarre, but in a couple of years, I was seeing 100 patients a day. Wow. 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 Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I was seeing 100 patients a day. Now, wow. so I got so busy in this little tiny office, I couldn't handle them. So I bought a building, a large building. I had seven rooms. That's how I was able to do 100 patients a day. I had seven rooms, and, the, and, and I had a day, a day staff and a night staff, and I was both day and night. So I, I started uh, by the clock and finished by the patient. That was our office procedure policy. We start by the clock, we finish by the patient. Patient-centered. I mean, so that's how we did it. Hey, and I Lou, would say, I'm sure. Oh, sorry, I would sorry, say to ahead. my staff, I would say to my staff, because they would, uh, uh, listen, uh, would you like your husband or boyfriend to be in pain and, and not be able to get an appointment? They said no. I said, okay, then we're never going to not take anybody. Right. You're never right. going to get any frack from me. And so that's how <laughs> we ran the practice. I mean, it's pretty simple. I love it. I love it. Lou, I, I have to ask this question. Um, there's going to be a lot of chiropractors with varying years of experience, some fresh out of school, some in practice like me for 30 years. What percentage of your patients that you treated um, either came in for non-musculoskeletal care or had a great effect from chiropractic care delivery um, for a non-musculoskeletal condition? 
Well, that's a great question, and I wish I could answer it with some real hard data, but I can't. Sure. All, sure. I, can, all I can tell you is that um, what we did was my, when I left Palmer College, I had a vision. My vision was I wanted to see, I never thought chiropractic was for sick people. I mean, I really never did. I thought chiropractic was for well people to keep them well. That was my philosophy. And I thought I'd like to see a thousand happy, healthy people once a month. That, mm-hmm. was, that was my objective from the day I left Palmer College. And yeah. obviously I achieved that. And so my practice was a wellness-oriented practice. And it's interesting, all, all these anecdotal things that I'm going to say to you, get a patient call up and say, you got to get Charlie in. He's miserable since he's not getting his adjustments regularly. Or the, or the husband would call and say, my wife is miserable when she doesn't get her care. And so uh, we don't have the anecdotal. We don't have any. I can tell you one day I walked into my office and a lady threw her arms around me and gave me the tightest hug I ever had. She says, I want you to know that I ate an egg for the first time in 30 years. I mean, how do I know that? I wasn't going to tell her to try eggs. But all I know is there was nothing we wouldn't. See, my philosophy then, too, Jay, is, and, and it's not based on anything except a rational thought process. I, I don't know what chiropractic could do. I never thought that it had limitations, but I also thought that I would never deprive a patient of a realistic short-term trial of chiropractic care, and nobody can, de- nobody can deny that. Nobody can refute that. When, yeah. you, when you practice and say, look, I don't know what I can do for you, but how about if we do a short-term trial? But I also learned this from some of the old masters who taught me. And here was the, here was the best advice I, I ever had. One of the, one of the old-time chiropractors uh, who was teaching me, and remember, I was taught by the, the giants, Herb Hyman, uh, 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 Herb Hines, uh, 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 Galen Price, uh, I mean, you know, you don't get any better than that. But I, I, here's what they said. If a patient, you're treating a patient, and you don't get some kind of idea of a change in a two-week period, your red flags should go up to the ceiling. Now, that was long before malpractice. It was long before all this stuff. It was just phenomenal observation. Some of the old-timers that we had were so incredibly smart in terms of their observations of what they saw and what they knew. And that was my benchmark, Jay. If Mm -hmm. a patient didn't respond in two weeks some way, my red flags went up. And Love we either it. reevaluated them or sent them out for, for additional uh, uh, evaluation. But that was my criteria. But by the same token, I never turned anybody away. Sure. From That's a great. trial I love it. of chiropractic. I love it, though. You know, we need to take a break, gentlemen. But when we get back, uh, Dr. Sportelli, I, you really started practice at a very controversial period of time where the AMA came in and started beating up on the chiropractic profession. And when we get back, I want to lead with sort of that that transition because you went right through that, and and I know you've got some passion about what happened at that time and, and the outcomes that we have today. And so when we get back, I'd like to start the discussion with that. You're listening to Tech Talk. I'm Brad Cost, my co-host, Dr. Jay Greenstein, and today the legendary Dr. Lou Sportelli. We'll be right back.
starting your weekend out right with the data jocks of talk. It's TikTok. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Jay Greenstein. This is Jay Greenstein. With me today is Dr. Jay Greenstein. Dr. Jay Greenstein. The world around us and healthcare specifically is changing at an exponential pace. Chiropractic is perfectly positioned like we have never been right now today to be more successful and to be more impactful for the communities and patients that we serve. There are all sorts of evidence-based guidelines that, that support the use of non-pharmacological approaches. But what I want America to know is that health doesn't come from a pill. It's our responsibility as healthcare providers to educate the community about the evidence that exists. We really need to have a private practice app, something that will help us engage with our patients in ways that they've never experienced before. The intersection of technology and quality care is where the future of healthcare is at, and I'm really excited to bring that forward in the future. Stop. Follow. 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 Hit that follow button and spread the love with Tech Talk. So we all feel it. Rent or dining out, gasoline or movies. As a matter of fact, the dollar is not going as far for a whole host of reasons. And it's impacting everybody regardless of your financial situation. Did you know that 38% of the overall population is having to reconsider how they're spending their money just to afford the healthcare they need? And if you break it down further, 26% have actually delayed the healthcare that they need, including going to see you, the chiropractor. So here's what we need to know about the breakdown in demographics. You would think that someone who's making $120,000 or more would be continuing their care right now. But the actual number is 18%. 18% of that group is actually putting off healthcare. And that's a group of people making six figures. When you take that same information all the way down to a group making 40,000, that number's much higher. It's closer to 40%. So it's never been more important than now to make sure you've made it easy for your patients to come see you, that you have choices for them, and you understand what they're going through at home. We wanna make sure your practice thrives during this time, and we encourage you to learn about what Cairo Health USA can do for you and your practice, and making it easy for patients to see you and continue care. With the hot data jocks of talk, it's Tech Talk. Well, welcome back, Tech Talk. We're having a great discussion today with Dr. Lou Sportelli. You know, Lou is, from everything that I've learned and known about him, is a legend in the chiropractic profession, known by just about everybody that's touched chiropractic, been involved in, and mostly all the chiropractors in the world will know who Dr. Sportelli is. Luke, I, before I dive into that question that I was leading into at the end, tell us a little bit about being in that little town and practicing alongside primary care. Well, what happened was I I, I rented this little office, and, and this little office used to be a barber shop, and the gentleman's name was Mr. Chamberlain, and Mr. Chamberlain was in his 90s when I came into to the community. And for some reason or other, the primary care, I was on one corner, the primary care, one of our two primary care doctors were on the other corner, and on the other corner was a funeral home. Okay? So now we have three corners. I'm on one, the, the physician's on the other, and the funeral home's on the other. And so 
the physician became so angry with the with Mr. Chamberlain for renting me the office, he refused to take care of him. Well, Mr. Well, well this was kind of crazy. Why I didn't even understand why why the physician was angry with the guy had a rental had a space to rent rented it to me. Well, people that went into Dr. Williams, what's his name, went into his office. He would tell them, if you go to that quack across the street, you'll wind up at Schnitter's. That was the name of the funeral home. <laughs> I'm thinking, what in the hell is going on? I mean, why would you do that? Because you can't. See, in hindsight, we, we know exactly what happened. But when you don't know what's happening, you, your, your puzzlement is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, as, as fate would have it, um, we continued to grow in our practice and continued to grow in our practice. And fortunately, um, the, the practice got so large and, my, and I had to buy a, a huge building and it was wonderful. But I couldn't do any local referrals. So I had to go to Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is about 25 miles away. And fortunately, between my attorney and a number of other folks, we made some entree into the into the medical community in Allentown, and and ultimately they would accept my patients and they would t- as referrals, they would send reports back, they would send the patient back. The development of those relationships were really wonderful, and 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 a lot of funny stories about that. And I'll tell you, but Jay, you will recognize the name Stephen Barrett. Yes, of course. Stephen Barrett is from Allentown. So oh, my was, God. Yeah. So he was he was the anti-chiropractic image in Allentown. And, and so in 1969, Barrett puts an ad in the paper that he was going to start the Lehigh Valley Committee Against uh, Health Fraud. Well, I figured I'm against health fraud, so <laughs> I'm going to go to the meeting. Well, I go to the meeting, of course, and I it didn't let me in because I, it really was the Lehigh Valley Committee Against Chiropractic. So right. out in the hallway, there were a couple of reporters, and one of whom I befriended for years, and I walked over and to her. I didn't know her at the time, and I said, the story's not in there. I said, that's not about health fraud. That's about anti-chiropractic. And by that time, I'm starting to get a little, a little bolder and a little more irritated and a little understanding that these folks are against us, but I didn't, still didn't know why. The, the why was the was the thing. Matter of fact, I I would start to put together these conspiracy theories, and fortunately for me, my mentor, who was a malpractice attorney in, in town, he and I started and practiced the same year. And he was he said to me, one this was 1969. He said to me, I'm getting so tired of hearing you, Lou. He said, I'm gonna I'm gonna arrange for a visit. With one of the top antitrust lawyers in the in Philadelphia, the, the name of the firm was a huge firm. Was Blank Rome Comiskey Macaulay. So we made an arrangement to go down there see Mr. Rome. He was very gracious. So I, I, I told Mr. Rome my my thoughts, my <laughs> stories. So he listened to me very patiently. And after about a half an hour, he got up, comes over to my chair puts his arm on my shoulder and he said young man he says you have a vivid imagination (laughs) he says if you can provide me with one shred of proof that what you're saying is true you've got a case well Hmm. obviously we had no proof we had no proof and and so that's how i mean 
anybody who started in the 60s to, to when the lawsuit finally hit in 75 practiced in the twilight zone. I mean, that, that's, that's really where you were. The success was only based on determination and the fact that there was no reimbursement. I'm going to tell you something, Jay. I hate to say this, but back in those days, there was no such thing as reimbursement. So when you talk about a patient-centered care, you better make sure that you're doing something to that patient every single time that they want to go into their pocket, pay you, and then come back again. So yep. patient-centered care was the only kind of care we gave. Yeah, That's how we survived. So, Lou, how did it transition? Like, what, what, what happened within our profession and, and kind of your growth as a as an advocate for our profession and patients because you took on this crazy journey. Well, what happened was kind of interesting and that is that fortunately, um, uh, Jerry McAndrews, who was a, a good guy with, uh, with the ICA and, and, and a guy by the name of Joe Mazzarelli with the ICA, uh, they had started to go and Chester Wilkes started to figure some of this stuff out well, we were we were vying for accreditation. Well, of course, the Medicare fia uh, Medicare fiasco, nobody knew about that. In 1968, we literally got deep sipsed by the Congress. I mean, it was a fraudulent committee. The, the report was written before the committee hearing ever was scheduled. Wow! So that's what we found out with the documents. But then we were applying for. Remember, we didn't have license in all the states. And so accreditation was coming into play. And every time there was something that would positively benefit chiropractic, the AMA was opposed to it. Well, then 1972, the CCE got, got their first accreditation. And then um, the, the documents came out in the public interest. And I got a packet on a Saturday morning in the mail marked in the upper left-hand corner, ST, sore throat, my address in a brown unmarked envelope. And I, I knew it didn't order anything that should come in a brown unmarked envelope. <laughs> so I finished my office hours and I started to read this ream of documents. And I want to tell you that was a change. That was, a, that was the, the absolute sea change. When we got those documents from Sore Throat, they were the same documents almost that was in the public interest, except um, that they came from Sore Throat. And so when I started to read that, all of a sudden, everything became crystal clear. The AMA had a committee on quackery that their goal was to contain and eliminate the profession. They talked all of these things that occurred that sort of kept chiropractic in the dark. The, the campaign on quackery, which still lasts to this day, every once in a yep. while you'll hear that ugly word. Yep. But the bottom line is, now we knew. Once we knew what was happening, then Chester Wilk and, uh, and Mike Pedigo and uh, uh, Brian and, uh, I mean, they all, then if, if these five chiropractors filed a lawsuit. Now, they, they were kind of nuts. I mean, they really were because taking on this and and not many were supportive of him of the suit and thank goodness that there was a couple of folks that decided that they wanted to have the have the campaign for funding and thank god 
that George McAndrews was the attorney because they couldn't find an attorney. We just couldn't find an attorney. Wow. And so once the lawsuit was filed and the documents, uh, the court ordered the preservation of documents, that's when everything just took a turn for the chiropractic profession. Now we knew why we were being targeted, persecuted, prosecuted, eliminated, contained, and all of that stuff. Now we knew who the enemy was, and now we knew how to fight. Boy, this sounds like a mystery, uh, mystery radio, mystery theater kind of thing. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not a Cairo, Lou, so I, I've got to go back and ask you a question. What? Who was sore throat? What What was that uh, involvement? Well, it's interesting. M- many of the chiropractors don't know this, Brad, but but we have a a great deal to thank the Scientologist huh. because the Scientologists were the ones who got the documents. What wow. happened was that Earl Ron, L. Ron Hubbard wrote a book called Dianetics. Yeah. And he thought that the AMA was going to just embrace him because it was a new non-drug way to g- get out of all of the problems that he was talking about. Instead of, instead of embracing him, they denounced him and tried to get the Church of Scientology closed. <laughs> well, L. Ron Hubbard had his own organization and his own clandestine or, uh, investigators, right. and it, right. he was nobody to fool with. So what they did was methodically infiltrate the AMA headquarters. The secretaries um, worked diligently. They were great. They were great uh, staff, and they gained uh, authority, and they gained uh, trust. And so they were, remember, we didn't have... Uh, we didn't have these kind of great cameras and great copy machines and all of the stuff that we have today that's so easy to get documents. Back then, it was a difficult time to get documents. So they worked methodically, and they got the documents. And, and, and so when they were look, what they were looking for, the Scientologists, they were looking for, what was the AMA going to do against Scientology? Well, they didn't find anything. But they found this treasure trove of what the AMA was doing against chiropractic. And so they wow. figured, why waste it? Let's give it to the chiropractor. <laughs> wow. I, I, I mean, that. I knew the Scientology, but I didn't I didn't know anything. I never heard the term sore throat as a as sort of a deep throat kind of a thing yep. back in yep. its day, wasn't it? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that is great. Listen, we've got to take another break, but this is getting intriguing, folks. If If you want to hear the end of this story... Be sure to come back and join us. This is Tech Talk. I'm Brad Cost, my co-host, Dr. Jay Greenstein. Our guest today, Dr. Lou Sportelli. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome to Infinity. We have worked hard to create an electronic claims website that is simple and user-friendly. This is the public side. You can log into your personal web portal here. This is your dashboard. You can personalize it to your liking here. Our main focus has been to allow you to submit and edit claims as easy as possible. You will find our claims editor and claims processing is simple to use and straightforward. Our quick action bar is where you can find your most important information. Most of these icons will take you directly to the claims the number represents. You can easily view if you have any messages in your inbox of any unread alerts by looking for these blue numbers. To view the rest of our training videos to get the most of your Infinity experience, click this icon. We hope you find this web portal simple and easy to use. Thanks for letting us serve you. 
your weekly dose of talk. Get ready with the data jocks of talk. And now to a tragic news story. We just learned that a chiropractor recently called his EHR company for help after being forced into yet another platform transition. And the wait times were so egregious, the doctor died while on hold. Our sources tell us he was put on hold for over 176 hours. Apparently, the staff had left early to take advantage of all the extra fees they charge. Ever wonder where all those nickels and dimes go? Don't let this happen to you. PayDC offers its all-inclusive software for one low monthly fee, backed by a team that both respects and empowers chiropractors and their staff. Sign up for a free software demo below and see how Rebels do EHR. Welcome back to Tech Talk. We're going to dive right into this subject matter again. We, we've been listening to Dr. Sportelli tell the story about sore throat, and it's just the deep throat of its time. And, uh, I, Lou, that's, it's just amazing to me. Let, let's catch up and, and go further into the story and talk a little bit about how the AMA really played out and, and what we know their target was chiropractic, not the Scientology, but how did that play out over the next decade? Oh, well, just to give you a, 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 just a little piece, for example, of the uh, – we, we could spend – literally, we could spend weeks on the dirty tricks the AMA had played. But let, let's give you one. For example, the AMA's position to the public was that chiropractors were grossly uneducated, okay? Therefore, they shouldn't be primary care. They shouldn't have patients come to them and so forth and so on. So because we were uneducated. So the chiropractic colleges that wanted to hire MDs and PhDs to teach in their institutions, if one of them decided that they were going to do that, they got a letter from the AMA saying, if you teach at that chiropractic college, you'll never teach in another institution again. So now you can't prevent us from getting educated and call us stupid. So, so what they were doing is, I mean, let me tell you something. If the plan was brilliant, it was an absolutely brilliant plan, masterfully executed. If you want to destroy something, the AMA's plan was, was beautiful. They did it in a, in a number of fashions. One, they poisoned the minds of all of the graduate medical physicians to come out and associate chiropractic and quackery, so therefore you don't have to ever think about that anymore. We know if you mention chiropractic, it's quackery. That's the educational component. Then they took on the consumers by the term quackery. The, they, they had uh, targeted 
they went so far, Brad, you won't believe this, they went so far as to provide Dear Abby with a trip, with a trip to, to China and a number of other things for her to write a column. She was one of the best-read syndicated columnists. Yeah. She called chiropractors poppycock, and therefore, and, and then, of course, they did targeted campaigns in Reader's Digest, Consumer's Report, and Law and Medicine, the big article, um, should your tax, should chiropractors uh, be paid by, with your tax dollars in the Reader's Digest, and the basis of law to keep chiropractors out of hospitals. I mean, so they targeted that segment. And, and then, of course, they already own the media. So between the media, the consumers, and the medical physicians, what's left? So they had a masterful plan. The only thing that saved us is results. I mean, <laughs> essentially, so essentially, simple, right? essentially, if we didn't get the kind of results that we got, because let me tell you something, um, and, and the chiropractors today don't have to worry too much about this, but when I started practicing, the patients were deathly afraid to tell, to tell their medical physician that they're going to a chiropractor. Why? Because they would not take care of them anymore. Wow. So in my, in my intake form on my case history, I would have a question. Can I contact your medical physician? And the reason I put that question in is because if they said no, I needed to sit down with that patient and find out why. If they said yes, it enabled me an opportunity to communicate with their physician uh, on, a, on a professional level, continue to barrage them with, with information and, and, and professional uh, dialogue. So either way, I needed to know. But it was a, it was a frightful thing for patients. Yeah. So that's kind of how things, you know, went. It's an incredible story, and and you know, it's funny. I just I just taught at Georgetown. I get to speak once a year at their in their master's program for complementary and alternative medicine, and and I and I tell the story not nearly as well as you do, but I I, I at a high level I tell the story, and and I say you know the the effects of all of this still still are long lasting, and and I want to know from you, Lou. What are the things that you're seeing still today that that need to be corrected, that need to be fixed based on the original contain and eliminate strategy that happened starting in the 60s? Well, f fortunately, Jay, I, I am with all that has transpired in the 60 years of my involvement. I am absolutely incredibly optimistic about tomorrow. And the reason I'm optimistic about tomorrow is because the medical Physicians and the medical prof and and I want to make a I, I want to make a point here that, that yes, is yes. absolutely incredible to make, and that is the distinction between political medicine and clinical medicine. Yes, the clinical guys they don't give a damn about anything, but the they didn't even know what the political medicine was doing, and many of them were appalled after the after the court case. Yep. But what's happening now is that the medical physicians, the hospitals are now becoming monolithic. Uh, you've noticed that there's very few anymore private practitioners. They're all essentially employees of the hospitals. Yep. Right? About 85% of them are employed. So the, the 
people who run these incredible organizations of hospitals and, and insurance companies and so forth, which will soon, we won't be able to tell the difference between any of them, uh, they're run by MBAs. They're not run by MDs with a prejudice. They're run by business people who understand bottom line doesn't have to be prejudiced. If it's good for the bottom line, it's good for the bottom line. And that's why the things that we've now been able to do in the last 20 years with research to demonstrate uh, outcomes, patient satisfaction, and cost, those are the three drivers that the people who run these institutions are looking at. Now, when you, when you take uh, away the fact that half, 50% roughly, of the visits are for musculoskeletal problems, and then two things, as I mentioned not long ago, two things happened that, in my mind, were divine interventions, ugly but divine interventions. One of them was the opioid crisis, and one of them was COVID. Why do I say that? Because the opioid crisis demonstrated clearly to most people the addictive factor that there was an alternative to that addiction, and that alternative was a non-pharmacological approach to back pain, which is what was the original addiction. So uh, chiropractors have a, had a golden opportunity and, and, and basically uh, became front and center. And as far as COVID is concerned, it turned the country's idea about immunity. Nobody talked about immunity, natural immunity or otherwise. So yep. the bottom line is COVID basically set the whole world, essentially, into a, a, an idea of, wait a minute, we've got this pandemic, we've got this virus, what can we do as individuals? Well, they started to recognize that they have an immune system. And how do you keep <laughs> your immune system? Well, you keep it by good nutrition. Um, chiropractic certainly can, can aid to that. Uh, lifestyle, all of the, uh, 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 weight control, all of the things that chiropractors have been talking about as a lifestyle intervention now became again front and center. So yeah. those two crises really brought chiropractic into, into an awareness. Yeah, and so, I that. And I'm saying to you that why I'm optimistic is because large institutions like hospitals and, and all, all of those kinds of facilities are looking at chiropractors as a, as a viable non-pharmacological alternative to the musculoskeletal epidemic that we're having right now. And, and, and essentially, we're really positioned beautifully. Agreed. You know, it's Agreed. interesting. I, 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 that's a great observation. Uh, there's pieces of that I, I agree with and probably some I'd want to question you about. But it's funny. I just had this conversation with my primary care doc yesterday. <laughs> you know, he's, he's a concierge doc. He, he got tired of the insurance world, and he just wanted to see his patients. And, he, and I, I loved it because when I'd go in, he'd talk to me for an hour. Uh, with you know, and I pay one flatly monthly fee, no copays, nothing like that. And he just and he he and I connected really well, and he just liked to talk to it. Well, he's trying to expand, and he went from six hundred patients to he's got fifteen hundred patients now. You know, and I noticed because I, my wife called and and wanted to see him, and it was going to be two and a half weeks before he could see him. And I said, no, get him on the phone. You know, <laughs> that that isn't right. And and we went into this long conversation. 
can't find doctors to grow his practice. And I said, hmm. you're, you're missing a key here because the most successful practices today are those that are multidisciplined. You need to change and think holistic. <laughs> what does the consumer want? They, they want healthy care. They want chiropractic, physical therapy. It's okay for you to be a primary care. There's certain things that most people, most chiros wouldn't even argue with you about that you could go see a primary care about. But, but look at the world today. It's changing. And uh, I said, you're sitting on the fence. You've got to decide which side of the fence you want to be on. And we had this great conversation. And I think it changed his mind. Uh, that he's going to look into that and 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 look expanding that way, but it, I think it's a crying shame. And you know, Jay and I have spent a huge amount of time the last four or five years seeing how and and looking at what we need to do to collect data to keep reinforcing that to look at those true outcomes. Go back and do the hardcore academic level research to prove these points one final time. And, and I believe that's going to happen. I believe that the things that we've looked at today in, in my companies, it's going to be easy to prove. And I think Jay, Jay's finding the exact same thing in the systems that he's developing. And now we're merging them for the consortium um, that we're, we're just going to have this huge data lake for the true, honest, academic-level researchers to go in and prove this point once and for all. Dr. Sportelli, yep. do you think that will be the end of it, or do you think this will be a battle that will be fought for no, decades and decades more? Uh, Jay mentioned that uh, it was kind of interesting that the, the judge in the Wilk suit um, actually was prophetic because she said the lingering effects of this conspiracy will last for decades. Uh, I, I kind of say that you know prejudice ends one funeral at a time. <laughs> so, so the fact of the matter is, is that what we have here at this point is we have we used to be able to uh, the 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 data that's coming out now is irrefutable. It, it's just irrefutable. Yep. And the system that we're involved in as in the healthcare system is unsustainable the way it is. Something is going to have have to change. And they've been. They've been talking about this for a long time to end fee for service and to and to essentially incorporate value based care. That, right. When that when value based care comes in, the value of the chiropractor in the system, both from a therapeutic point of view and from an economic point of view, will be indisputable. Yep. And so yep. I ha that's why I'm optimistic, and I'm optimistic because because m m there are there are things happening that that if you said that they would have happened 30, 40 years ago, uh, they'd probably lock you up in a padded cell. <laughs> but, to, but today, when you think about the fact that uh, next year, hopefully, the University of Pittsburgh, will, which will be the first university-based college to have a chiropractic uh, program, number one, and number two, many of the large hospital-based facilities are now employing and engaging chiropractic within the system so once you get within the system uh, then there's no no stopping uh, the, the, the the tipping point will will be here amen yeah. 
Yep. We're building systems on value-based care today. We've recognized that over the last few years, looking at population management and things, and we're building some of those early systems, looking at some of the analytics. Some of the things Jay's taught me about it uh, has been very insightful to help me build that. But the thing I worry about is something that you mentioned earlier about corporate America and the, the monolith that is being built where all of these practices are being wrapped up into this corporate roll-up that uh, to me that could put us again on a not good level also i I mean i I don't you know i want healthcare to be something different i guess is what i'm saying maybe maybe if you believe in a one-payer system one provider system kind of a methodology that monolithic uh view of corporate medicine is an okay view but I worry about corporate medicine. I worry about the outcome. The true outcomes will be hidden in corporate medicine like that, Doctor Sportelli. What are your views on that? I, I don't. I don't share that, uh, uh, Brad. I, and, and the reason I say that is because, I mean, fortunately, back in the '60s, the AMA was essentially the, almost the fourth branch of government unofficially. Well, what happened to medicine is they got fat and sloppy. And so everything that came along, medicine was automatically included. And they lost their ability to fight. And so over the years, if you notice today, the government, CDC, and other guidelines are essentially removing the physician's ability to practice like he or she was taught. So they've essentially lost their ability to fight. So that's why they joined and between between malpractice and be, for a good example, in the 90s in Pennsylvania, uh, the, the malpractice rates were so high that we basically were going to lose almost all of our, our physicians. So what happened, why? Because malpractice was, rates were high. But right. there was a little clause that said, uh, you can't venue shop. So the any anything that happened in any county in Pennsylvania, where did they want to bring the case? In Philadelphia, of course. Be, so the, they passed a law that you can Two weeks ago, the, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania wiped away that provision, and now attorneys can now venue shop again. So you can, and I'll I'll predict to you that within less than five years, the rates will be so high that they will have to revisit this again. So you've got a combination of things as to what what drives the system. So what drives the system is malpractice. There's no question. What drives the system is is corporate control. But I will tell you that the physicians today, uh, look, even in our own profession, Jay, um, the 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 drivers, the guys that are going to work. Uh, and the gals who are going to work 12, 15 hours a day to build a that, that's not that's not here anymore. Yeah, I, it's just not here anymore. They want a nine to five, or they want to yep. have some. They want to have a what they consider to be balance. Well, Work life balance. Yeah, I don't even I don't even understand what that means because <laughs> if you're passionate about something, there is no such thing as balance. Yeah, and, if you listen, balance, if you love your work, balance, it's, it's part of your life. That's exactly right. So so I, I'm just saying that. It, we're, we're entering a different world 
Brad. That's why I don't. I don't think it's 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 a it's a program thing. I think it's just an evolution thing. Medics want to go home. They want to punch in and punch out. So being a, an employee is a terrific thing. Chiropractors are also getting into this employed situation. You see those all over the country. I, not a positive or negative. It's just it's just a change Fact. in the way yeah. things operate. So. Th- what has to happen, and you're going to see more and more uh, of the air practices for those who want you, – look, we have a two-tiered system whether we want to admit it or not. Right. There's right. going to be a two-tiered system. Nobody wants yep. to say it, but it, it, that's the way it is. So, yeah. so bottom line is it's not the system, it, but the, the employment gives the physicians and gives the practitioners a little more time to spend – but let's not get robotic. That's the problem. The problem. Yeah, I is guess that's. I guess that's being, my. Con- yeah. Yeah. That's you, my concern. Is you yeah. know we we get robotic and and you know outcomes might not matter much anymore as far as the patient's care and the outcome. The money we know will always be there. I don't worry about the AMA anymore. You know they've yeah, no, they, they've irrelevant. gone the way of history. They're really all that keeps them alive today is ninety percent of them is selling CPT code books. Well, they, they don't not, function much as an association anymore. I will say, what keeps them alive? Pharmaceutical ads. Just yeah. look at their journals. That's right. uh, yeah. Now, and and they've they've they the pharmac- That's the biggest issue we have right now, is the pharmaceutical influence on Congress and on the way in which laws are made in favor. Of, now, you tell me something. You're going to make an an a, a vaccine. And you're not going to take any responsibility for any of the negative outcomes, and you get immunity from the government. What kind of a world are we living in where nobody wants to take responsibility for the things that they created? Right. right. And, and we and we've given that to them, Brad. I mean, yeah. so the bottom line is our biggest danger is the mindset that there's a pill for every ill. Right. That's right. And and frankly, I love. I have to take away the brilliance of the of the marketers because they've done neural marketing off the Richter scale, and I always say, I always tell people just kind of like I said next time you watch television and of course every every three minutes or ten minutes there's a pharmaceutical ad I said do me a favor will you here's what neural marketing is the next time you see a drug ad close your ears and just watch the screen and you're going to see all kinds of happy people right, skipping right, and dancing right. and all kinds of stuff and <laughs> yeah. and you're going to think that this ad for the drug is great next time the same drug ad comes on close your eyes, your eyes. and just yeah, listen yeah, yeah. That's and great. you will find everything from from uh, a diarrhea to death yeah so <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and so wait so a minute true. so yeah. how and nobody pays attention to it because it's become so ubiquitous in terms of those comments that we've become the boiled frog of yeah. the consuming public for pharmaceuticals. Yeah, yeah. I get intrigued though. by the way they name the drugs, too. It's uh, whoever, I, they, you know, it must be one uh, bar scene where they get around and say, okay, let's think of this drug name, you know, and come up <laughs> with some. They're beginning to sort of sound the same, too. But it's very intriguing. You know, Dr. Sportelli, I'd be remiss <clears throat> if I didn't ask you quickly to talk about your time at, at, at NICMEC. Um, just quickly sort of finalize here what we're talking about. Just about your time at, uh, there and, and what you saw in, in the value of what uh, 
uh, Nick Mick does today? Well, the, the value of what Nick Mick does today is uh, it, incomprehensible. It is it is probably the, the 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 finest organization that that the profession has. When I got there in the '90s, it was a disaster. I, I mean, literally a disaster. They had no idea how to run a company. So when I got there in the, in the '90s. Um, it, it was a mom-and-pop type thing. I had one product, and, and fortunately, uh, my, my view of the world is, is you need to bring on people who are smarter than you, who can run organizations. And, and fortunately for, for, for me, we found those folks, the chiropractors. I'll tell you what the biggest, what the biggest shift in the entire process was. I, I finally convinced the board of chiropractors that we needed to have a public members on our board. And that was a major, major, major decision. And once they made that decision, and once we got those phenomenal public members on the board, the, the company just took off. And, and, and when you have good management, that's what happens. You got good people with creative ideas, the ability to implement, products that the that the profession wanted and that's what NCMIC did it, yeah. it said okay what do we, what does the what does a chiropractor need well they need credit cards they need financing for their equipment they need insurance they need malpractice they need all kinds of things and then of course we i will say we became the best of the best relative and i happen to have a passion for the whole malpractice arena we we have we have we have a a, a defense team of attorneys today that you can throw a dart at a wall and any anywhere it hits you should you'd feel comfortable having that attorney defend your case and then we spent lots of dollars in research to uh, to undertake the most significant thing that chiropractors and the AMA was behind this the fear of of stroke and we handled that very well and now we win pretty much uh, of all the cases that we go, we have very few plaintiffs' verdicts. Yeah. So Brad, it's a company that we looked at the we looked at the field, said, "What does the profession need?" And that's what we provided. Brad, I know we we're, we're kind of running out of time, but I, I just have to ask this question, Lou. For all the people that are listening, um, I would love to know. Like, what is your leadership philosophy? What What is it that you can share with the audience and the profession at large about what it takes to be a great leader? Well, some of it's a dichotomy, uh, Jay. Let me just say this to you. For uh, some, some commentary, for example, it's going to sound harsh. For God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. So the bottom line is some things you just have to take on yourself and, 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 to hell with what's going to happen if you if you're going to go forward. But the second part of that is a lot gets done if you don't care who gets the credit. So when you when you look at an organization that way and you realize that you got I mean we're talking about some things that, and of course people laugh at me Brad because I don't have a cell phone. <laughs> so so how how the hell do you become the president of NCMIC and not have a cell phone. Well, when you've got competent management, you don't need a cell phone. Not, nothing's going to be that ex, uh, uh, incredibly important that it needs me. If it needs me and I have to do everything, what, what, what's the point? What do I need an yeah. organization for? 
So yeah. my the organization of NCMIC is just phenomenal. We have we have a great senior management team. We have our our employees have been there for a while. They're committed. The the culture of the organization is we we live by the our byline. We take care of our own, and and that's a sense. Our own is our own people, our own employees, and our own policyholders, and and our own profession. And once you have that kind of a simple, it's pretty simple. Look, a lot of stuff everybody wants to complicate that these fancy things. It's pretty <laughs> damn simple. Do what's right, and 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 stick to it, and don't worry about who gets the credit. A lot of shit gets done. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, Lou. I love it. Well, Lou, thank you for spending the last hour with us. Yes. This has been man. I needed to hear this today i appreciate the comments that you've made the the observations that you've done i I, i'm going to take away a few of your comments and wrap them up in a speech the the bowling ball growing hair on a bowling ball i just love that's going to show up in in one of my talks in the next few months i i just i just know that so well, uh, now, now, and Jay, now, thank you. Now, that's a belief system. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no question about that. Jay, thank you for this introduction and doing this uh, with Dr. Spertelli. I, I know you had offered to go to Pennsylvania to help him with the technology on this, but I, in, on the other side of that, I got to spend 30 minutes with him a couple of weeks ago, and it was a lot of fun to talk to you. So, Lou, I look forward to uh, sometime in the near future taking you to dinner and uh, just having another conversation you, you know I'm one of those guys that just loves to talk and I get passionate about the things that I believe in and healthcare and what's going on and I, you, you just seem like an amazing gentleman to me. Well let me say one thing in closing and that is that I have been incredibly blessed as an individual with mentors I have had some of the finest mentors that anybody could ever want in their entire life from the time I graduated high school until this very day. And so I'm going to say anybody thinks they can do it alone, they can't. And I have been so blessed, Brad, with the kind of quality of the mentorship that I've had for, for me. I, I couldn't have done it without it. Well, that's that. I Thank kind you, of live by great, that mantra too. Advice. I think of everyone as a mentor. Everyone could teach me something. It seems like, and uh, I, you know, I try to listen to everybody. And Jay's a great example. Uh, I met Jay, I don't know, almost twenty years ago, and in Virginia, and I was young and trying to grow a business and and didn't fully understand everything. And Jay has been an amazing mentor to me. I hope I've, in reciprocation, taught him a couple of things about technology. 100%. But we've got an amazing friendship and a pact with each other to help the chiropractic profession grow into the next couple of decades. So we're going to be friends forever. And, and I, again, I look forward to talking to you in person. And thank you again for spending that you're, hour with you're us today. You're quite welcome. And, Jay, thank you. Thank you, Lou. So appreciate your time. Yeah. From my co-host, Dr. Jay Greenstein. I'm Brad Cost. Have a good day. Happy holidays, y'all.